0: Hey Church, welcome to our first episode of Beyond Sunday. We're really glad that you could join us uh, on our new YouTube channel. And uh, if you could click subscribe on this channel, that would be awesome. We're going uh, to have five of these episodes, um, one after each of the next five weeks, as we're in the series You Asked For It. Each one of these questions, these are big enough questions where they deserve uh, more content from us. I mean, it's hard to answer these questions in one or two sermons. And uh, so we are going to be, uh, we're going to be diving in a little bit more after Sunday, beyond Sunday, if you will, and, uh, and having some fun and talking about what we talked about during the weekend and digging in some additional stuff that we didn't get a chance to dig into uh, during our weekend services. I have a uh, Brett, Billy Reader with me. What's your name? Billy? Yeah. Brett or Billy, <laughs> either one. <laughs> Billy Reader with me, our Brentwood campus pastor, um, pro- pretty much easily in the top five of Cornerstone campus pastors, I would say. <laughs> Wow. That's a huge compliment. Really? You. You're, you're in there for sure. Yeah. Excellent. And Glad uh, I made that. You know what? I list. was actually, I was watching the Warriors game last night. We're, we're, uh, we're filming this on Saturday night and uh, they played last night. Great game, by the way. And uh, just the talent they have on the Warriors, it reminded me of our teaching team. Oh yeah. Like the, just stacked with talent. Well, that's a nice compliment. Who would you, um if you were a warrior, like equivalent, like our preachers, if you were compare preachers to the Warriors, who would you be on our teaching team? Would you be the are you kind of the Draymond Green of our team or? Uh, no, I wouldn't say that I mean, you could all. get emotional and like fired up and stuff. Yeah. Um, and not see everything clearly.
1: I'm more like the KD. The oh, go-to. You're, the K- you're the KD. Yeah, yeah. I would say that. Smooth. Yeah, just kind of, you know, you're going to just take it to the rack and just go for it. But also you can pull up and you can break ankles. I mean, <laughs> that guy, I just, I relate yeah, to him I don't know. in a lot of ways. I don't know.
0: Okay. Well, we're way off topic. Um, so uh, we are. what we're going to do with this um, going forward is we're going to um, also launch a podcast out of Beyond Sunday, and uh, we'll have more information for you coming soon. Uh, we're probably going to title it Church Stuff, where we dive into not only sermon content, theology, but also church strategy. Why does Cornerstone do things the way we do things? Um, a couple of the topics we're going to jump into in the beginning is uh, why, should, why should we care about diversity in the church? Why is that important? Or uh, another one is... Um, how do you be a great life group leader? How do you, how do you become a great community group leader? What are the attributes of a community group leader um, that make that person really, really effective as God uses them? So we're looking forward to that. That'll be coming soon. Uh, But for this episode, we are following up on the last two sermons in our You Asked For It series, in which we tackled the question, how do we know the Bible is true? If you miss those sermons, you can go on our website, uh, cornerstoneweb.org and catch up because everything that we're talking about is kind of jumping off of those sermons. So you'll still find value in this episode, um, in this podcast, even if you didn't watch the sermons. But if you watch those sermons, this would be even more helpful for you. And so before we uh, before we dive in, I did want to recap just a couple of the things we covered. Um, and you can help fill in for me uh, in the first two weeks of this series, uh, answering this question of how do we know the Bible is true. Pastor Matt talked about um, the proofs that we have which you helped write that, yes. Guess, which was fantastic content. Um, and we, we got into the manuscript evidence is airtight. I mean, the, the words we have in our current Bible um, are like 99%, if not more than that, the exact words that were written down by the original authors of the Bible.
1: Absolute miracle. Absolutely. What you just said it's is true. Yep.
0: And then the historical evidence of the Bible being true is monumental as well, right? And Absolutely. so our conclusion after that was the words we have are authentic. They're real. It's hard to poke holes in them. Uh, because of the evidence that we have that backs them up is, this is true. This actually happened.
1: Yes, and many do try to poke holes in, in the Bible's uh, reliability, the manuscript evidence. Uh, you've got popular writers like Dan Brown, like Bart Ehrman, mm-hmm. who wrote a couple of New York Times bestsellers on this very topic. But for every Dan Brown and Bart Ehrman, there's a 100 biblical scholars that will like
0: completely refute those guys, mm-hmm. and you just never hear about it because they don't sell books like yeah, those other guys do. It's not as exciting. It's not as exciting um so this last weekend uh you as you were preaching across all of our campus except matt preached live in danville um you jumped into um a little bit more of the gray area on this topic right and 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 part of what we struggle with with the bible and what we wrestle with um and so that's where i want to jump out to and the first thing i want to talk to you is about what struck me the most was when you were preaching on something can be completely true but not necessarily factual historically um, and that for me, that was such a powerful moment and that resonated a lot with me and just helped me get clarity on certain things that I struggle with or wrestle with, um, with the journey that I've had of understanding scripture. So I want to dive into that a little, I want us to unpack that a little bit more in a way we, we couldn't do because of time with the series. Um, so I want to see this is, I want to, I'm, I'm going to give you my take on where I land on, on certain texts that you brought up. And then I want to get your take, just your opinion. Okay. And I'll preface this as we don't know, like we're a couple knuckleheads who, yeah, enjoy studying this, but we don't know. Right. Um, uh, so I'll go first. Um, you listed three, uh, texts within scripture that, um, the signals are kind of murky. They're not clear. Is this narrative history? Is this, is this poetry? Is this extended parable? Genesis one through 11, Job and Jonah. Um, so I grew up believing, um, and being taught that all three of these were, were literal historical, uh, events. And I've gone on a journey over, I'd say, the last fifteen years in coming to the, I'd, I'd say, leaning that they're not historical events, um, just just in my study the way they're written, um, and then other factors um, that I'm processing through. Um, but I don't, I have no idea. Like I, I, I don't know. I'm fine either way. Where, where do you land on these three in terms of your personal opinion? Um, uh, my personal <coughs> opinion,
1: I am very much, uh, I hold Genesis one through three, especially very loosely, Mm -hmm. because especially so in those three chapters, we have, in my opinion, very mixed literary signals. We have some history. Mm -hmm. We absolutely have some history. We also absolutely, in my opinion, have some poetry. Mm -hmm. So it's very much an intertwining kind of helix, like I said in the message, um, that DNA strand. Mm -hmm. So I'm really like, I'm not sure. Yeah. On, on that. I know that historically, God did create the cosmos. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That is yep. history. There was a historical event. And Absolutely. And we just don't know how that played out exactly. And we're given this, I think, beautiful poetic depiction of it that may or may not be actually to the point, to the letter, um, 100% true mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. 100% like right on factual. Mm-hmm. So that's that. Um, Job, I am pretty sure he lived. Mm-hmm. But as I get into this a little bit more, I'm wondering if what we're reading is really an epic, an epic literary poem Mm -hmm. that has these different strophes Mm -hmm. or different acts, if you will. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have this God part at the beginning between God and Satan, and then you have a really, that's the first section. Then you have this lengthy second section with Job talking to his friends. And then you have a third section where it's God and Job um, talking. And that looks a little bit like three acts of a play or three acts of a epic poem. And so I'm I'm somewhere in the middle. I, I think maybe he lived, uh, I'm not so yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, Jonah, I'm pretty sure Jonah lived. I think yeah. there's more historicity in Jonah than in in Job. So I personally don't struggle with that one as much as others do. But yeah. like I said, there is some content in there that does lend itself to that being a question.
0: Yeah. And, um, I remember, uh, the church I grew up at, there was actually a, like a Sunday night event where they, they dug into some of these topics a little bit. And I remember two grown men standing up, literally yelling at each other. I mean, just, just full of anger <laughs> over the the polar opposite positions. And so I was modeled a really unhealthy way about of approaching about these non-essentials. Right. Right. Okay. Wow. Um, they're not arguing about the, the, factual evidence of the resurrection of Christ, which is something you should defend with all that you have. Um and so I you know, I'm passionate about what you said around these being non-essentials. Yes. I mean that's a big deal to me because I think we as the church historically have done a disservice to the cause of Jesus Christ because of how we've argued over really really whether Job was a real man or not. it, It 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 doesn't affect my faith one way or the other because what God gave us there is true, and it's wonderful, and it's beautiful either way, and uh, and it affects my life positively. I agree, and, um, and it doesn't affect my views on Jesus at all. So
1: I think sometimes the uh, visceral reaction that people have, unfortunately, is they believe that once you start to maybe bring in some questions about the historicity of of these. Secondary characters, they feel that it's a slippery, a slippery slope into now you're questioning everything about right. the Bible yeah, being, yeah, yeah. you yeah. know, uh, true and real. So I can see where that comes from, but at the same time, that's kind of a monolithic mm-hmm. approach that really doesn't do anybody any good at the mm-hmm. end of the day.
0: Yeah. the the other the last thing I want to say, and then we we'll get we'll move on to to our next topic um, is that when we hold these loosely one of the things that that has helped me is when i'm interacting with with people who don't believe in jesus and they're wrestling they're they're exploring right they're they're yep. interested in like kind of trying to figure things out i don't have to spend time trying to convince them of certain things that are really a waste of time and are actually things that are keeping them they're, uh, they're like roadblocks for them. And I can almost let them go and really get to G- get more directly to Jesus and get past these if I'm not holding on to them tight one way or the other. Have you noticed that with any of your, like it's, there's, a, there's a freedom in that uh, non-essentialism, if you will, of like, I don't know if Jonah was a real guy or not. And actually that's not the point here. That's not the issue.
1: I agree. I think from a secular viewpoint, people, secular folks, people who don't, or outside of the church who are are not Christians, who don't have any kind of a biblical worldview, they look at these incredulous stories and they get hung up on the big fish. Mm -hmm. And that's such a tragedy because we actually can't even get to the good stuff, which is Jesus Mm -hmm. and the new life and the forgiveness that he offers and the fact that he did beat death. And because of that miracle, because of that reality, you can enter into a completely incredible relationship with God. But if you get hung up on the big fish, you never can have that conversation. Mm-hmm. So this does help
0: us. Nice big fish reference. I like that pun. If you get hung up on the big fish. You <laughs> oh, right. Like he was in the big fish.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. That, that's who I am. I'm just fu- funny and I don't even was, mean to be. That
0: was funny. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on past that one um, because I thought that was interesting in your message from this weekend. But one thing uh, we didn't get to in either of these messages was um, the role that the Bible plays in terms of being an authority in our life as as compared to other aspects of our lives that can inform us about God. So um, and I think we're on the same page about this, but I want to I want to I want to talk about it and see see what your thoughts are on this. But, you know, we, we learn we can learn about God from science right? We can learn about God from nature. We can learn about God from our personal experiences, uh, from other people, uh, mentors from philosophy, right? These things can all inform us about truth, about God, um, as can, the, as does the Bible. Uh, but how, how do we approach the interaction of all of those sources of information? Um, hmm. as we learn about gro- like how do they interact and play off of each other? Um, well, let me just stop there and then let me see how, how would you position that and then I, I might add in a little bit more.
1: Well, I think the scripture is clear that it tells us to place the, the scripture itself as our final authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not to say that, like you said, we can't have other types of authority in our lives that inform us, that help us make decisions, that even help us have a view of who God is. Having said that, the scripture then of all of those options stands at the top. Mm -hmm. It's the top of the heap. Mm -hmm. And if any of those other subsets were to conflict with what the Bible says, scripture wins. Mm -hmm. And this is, of course, the Orthodox Christian teaching. This is what the Reformers helped uh, to bring us back to 500 years ago because the different authority systems had become pretty topsy-turvy in the church. You had human authority... 500 years ago in the medieval church replacing biblical authority and the reformers came in and said well, we, we should flip that back to its rightful place, mm-hmm. that its rightful order so as a church cornerstone being in the reformed tradition in terms of like we are descendants of the Protestant movement, we say as well as Martin Luther as these other men and women did that the Bible in a sense is our final authority mm-hmm. so that's in a sense my understanding of mm-hmm. how this all stacks up yeah, and uh, in order of priority
0: yeah, I'm a, I'm on the same page, and uh, I th- I think there's a spectrum here, and, and there's a there's a happy medium on that spectrum as as you have. I mean, historically there's been and there are there are today people who who would cling more to a fundamentalist viewpoint of scripture is the the only way we can know anything about God, and it's the only source where we can find truth. And there's not that many of those people, but yeah, but they but they've been out there. But and then you have the more common end of the spectrum, which is obviously scripture doesn't contain any truth, right? And and so we lean more one way, but. Um, I would say our society more leans into personal experience as the primary authority of truth in our day and age. Um, so we interpret all truth through our personal experience. And um, I, I mean, I think, I think personal experience is obviously it shapes us, it forms us, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it provides a lens through which we, we view everything, including the Bible. But um, it's deeply flawed. Um, I'll, I'll give a, I was just thinking about this the other day. I mean, my, uh, my mom passed away in January, as you know. Um, and so that, that journey of, of her cancer and losing her and then grieving has, it's been a new, I haven't grieved like that before. I haven't lost anyone close. And so it's been a new experience for me, but it's a personal experience that absolutely has informed me about God, right? I've learned more. I could read in scripture about sorrow and grief, but then feeling it taught me more because I had to experience it. But. It, it didn't have to, like that personal experience could have taken me in the wrong direction too. It could have created anger towards God. It could have. And so the personal experience alone isn't authoritative enough if we don't have scripture to bounce it off of and to check it and to be like, hey, is how do I go through grief? Like, who's going to advise me on that? Mm-hmm. And um, and that's, that's where we turn to scripture to say, hey, that personal experience is valuable and it can teach me a ton about God. If I have that, that that real authority, that truth uh, of Scripture, to bounce it off of. Um, would you? Uh, does that does that make sense to you?
1: Yeah, I think we all have that, Chris. And I mean, we were right alongside you as that whole tough time unfolded. And I think there is the reality of of grief as a theory, but then there's when you really experience it, and that does shape and form even who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. It also shapes who you are as a as a pastor. As now you can relate, sure. I think, to those. Yeah. Um, I, hear, I care a little bit more. <laughs> well, you just do. Do you understand. I think caring is not my core strength, but uh, no, you do. I, I would say this also about personal experience. What the culture struggles with this because if personal experience is the number one authoritative force in a person's life, what happens when someone's personal experience clashes with another personal? experience of a, of another person. I mean, when, who wins, like what, what is, what is the final arbiter there? And that's where you go. That doesn't really work that well. Mm -hmm. And yes, we can kind of navigate some of that, but boy, you run into a lot of, of obstacles and so having scripture, having this outside, again, 100% truthful, 100% factual and reliable and trustworthy book of God's word there really does give us a roadmap that mm-hmm. is, is impeccable.
0: Yeah. And I would also say um, one of the things I'm learned, I've learned is to not be afraid to dive into these other realms um, because I believe ultimately they're, they're, even if there might be some confusion for a season, they're going to ultimately point us towards mm-hmm. the one truth that exists um, of our God and our Jesus. And so I've enjoyed digging into science and learning because I, I believe it reveals God ultimately. Um, I enjoy philosophy, right? Because you, you may come across some confusing things, but yeah. ultimately I believe it, it reveals the core philosophy of, of who God is. Um, and then we talked about personal experience and all the others as well. And so uh, one of the shifts that I've made is actually instead of, instead of, avoiding those topics out of fear of, Oh, I'm scared of what I might find. The freedom to be able to le- lean into them with a confidence in who God is and how he designed everything that ultimately I'm going to find the truth of God in all of those realms. Yes. Um, so that, that gives me a lot of confidence. All right. L- let me, uh, let me change topics. And, uh, uh, we, one of the things we weren't able to get to in either of these sermons on how do we know the Bible is true is the, the concept of inspiration, right? We believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Uh, what the What does that mean? Like, what is yes. it? What is it, what, what, When we say it's the inspired word of God, what what are we what are we saying? Like, what's the English version of that? Well, even though that is English, but you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah,
1: I think first of all, the the concept comes from Scripture itself. We covered the passage in Second Timothy three, mm-hmm. where it says um, that God's word is God breathed. The Bible is God is God breathed, and that is a Greek word that literally we translate as inspired. And so ultimately what it means is that the Bible, even though it is written by human beings and it is a very human book, it is also equally all of God's words that we are reading. Mm-hmm. So this wasn't just like someone who saw a sunset and then wrote a beautiful psalm about God's creation because that inspired them in that way. Mm-hmm. We, we don't hold that. The doctrine of inspiration says that God – uh through the the mystery and the power of of his holy spirit actually conveyed his thoughts and his words through someone through a bible writer mm-hmm. to put down on paper his truth his words what he wanted to say to us
0: so did god like so does that mean that god like spoke audible words to king david as he's writing the psalms and, and and all all david was was like a scribe transcribing what he heard god saying like
1: uh god's like <clears throat> david's about to go to sleep and god's like hey david don't go to sleep yet get up and go to your table just get a pen and paper write this down yeah you ready yeah the lord is my shepherd <laughs> you got it i shall not want no that's not necessarily what the doctrine of inspiration says that at all. Yeah. Um, It it actually is more complicated than that Mm -hmm. because it's uh, even though these are God's word, the the other component is this is the human being experience Mm -hmm. that God um, used in this, again, sort of superintending way Mm -hmm. to to put those words down. Now, having said that, there are some times where what I just described did happen in the book of Daniel, for example. God says to Daniel, "Write these words down," and he writes them down. And then in that story, like he doesn't even know what they mean, and he asks God, and God says, "I'm not going to tell you; it's for somebody else." And so there's these little bits and pieces where that does happen, but by and large, that's that's not the normative pattern for how Scripture was yeah. compiled.
0: I think it's actually more beautiful this way because it, it Scripture was obviously written by humans, right? You can you could see there's human there's David's emotion is in it. Like that was David's unique emotion. That wasn't God's emotion that David was just like, that was David's emotion. Um, That was Luke's like work that he put into the research and, and Mm -hmm. Luke was the one interviewing people and doing all the research behind uh, his gospel and, and the book of Acts. Um, And he had his own flavor. He had his own way of writing, just had John had a much more poetic way of writing the gospel. Um, it just flowed in a tip because it was him. He was it was a human writing it and at the same time it was exactly how God wanted them to write it. That's through right. Through some divine like inspiration. Like yes. that's the best word we have.
1: Yes. He breathed it through the people mm-hmm. and conveyed it in such a way that it is both them and God fully. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like Jesus. He's a hundred percent word, he's a hundred percent man, and essentially so is the Bible. Mm-hmm. Luke, for example, uses a lot more complicated vocabulary. He was more learned in Greek Mm -hmm. than John, who was a fisherman, right? He's basically a guy who's unlearned. Mm-hmm. And so we see his grammar and even the structure of his Greek as being a lot more street or hood. Mm-hmm. And so you see their personalities and their in their experiences even coming through.
0: You're, you're the one who would recognize street and hood. Like, you know that when you see it. Oh, yeah. Because right? oh, totally. you're a Billy.
1: As a, as a dairy farmer from Oregon, absolutely. For sure.
0: you know hood when you see it, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, no, I, to- I totally agree. What about... um, Well, one other thing about inspiration that's
1: interesting. Because of this variety, what the doctrine of inspiration doesn't mean, though, is that um, we should have some people who are more inspired than others. Mm. So sometimes uh, you may hear some teaching that says, well, if Jesus didn't teach on a topic, but Paul brought up the topic, then it actually doesn't carry as much weight And actually, we have to take a step back and say, no, 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 that's not how we understand inspiration. We understand inspiration that all these words are equally inspired. So if Paul brings up a topic in one of his letters, for example, then we would say it's because the spirit of Jesus somehow inspired him to do that, the same spirit of Jesus that actually had uh, us record the words of Jesus himself. Mm -hmm. And so they're equally inspired.
0: Mm Okay, that's interesting. So, if they're equally inspired, are they all e- of equal value? Like, is is the is the Song of Solomon equal in value to the Gospel of Luke?
1: I mean, I think it maybe depends on where you are in your life,
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, right? Like, maybe like, if you're on your honeymoon, can they? Can they I don't know. <laughs> uh, that's maybe not. Yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> we don't have to cut that. Out. I like that. Um, but it, no, like if you're I don't know like well no can they both be inspired yes but yet one set is actually providing us more value than the other
1: we we actually have peaks of revelation Mm -hmm. so because they're all equally inspired does not automatically mean that they're all equally value valuable to us in our daily lives Mm -hmm. so many people would lean into psalm 23 Right. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we actually do, we study this, we read mm-hmm. it in times of, of mm-hmm. deep distress, in times of grief. And you're not going to read a passage out of like Obadiah, uh, a minor prophet, right. to go to get comfort from God. Right. So so there is this sense then in Scripture that there are parts that are way more valuable they're way more connecting. There's the bridge of contact to us and other, like the genealogies or whatever, they're not necessarily gonna help us through some of the, the, the tough stuff in life. So no, it doesn't mean that. It also doesn't mean that you can't have a favorite person, uh, author. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people don't like Paul very much because you know, he kind of comes off a certain way, but they mm-hmm. prefer John. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't mean a person can't connect more to one author of scripture uh, than another. Um, that doesn't. We're okay with that. It's mm-hmm. all still inspired. Mm-hmm. It's Famous. a beautiful doctrine, actually.
0: It is. It's amazing. Um, all right. There's one more, one more topic I want to touch on, and then we'll wrap this thing up. Okay. Uh, what is the word canon? What is canon? Ah, like, I think the, most a, the lot the of you, a lot of canon. Christians have heard that word before, but maybe don't okay, even know. Okay. Canon that, is a is heavy
1: canon? gun <laughs> mounted to the side of a ship, and you put a round, heavy lead ball that you shoot at people, which is how people it. have
0: used the Bible before. So. <laughs> yeah, it's a weapon. <laughs> yes.
1: No, what we mean by canon or the canonization of scripture is, uh, a canon is, uh, I think it's a Latin word that means ruler or measuring rod, and it's basically a standard. It's setting the standard. And so when we talk about the biblical canon, this is the, these are the books that are included in the inspired works that we have uh, from God I- I through time. Mm-hmm. So, so these are the ones that we would say, these are God's words. Mm-hmm. These are our canon. So that's what we mean by that word.
0: Okay, so teach us just a little bit. Um, you're probably going to bore us to death, but yes, we'll as see. I typically would we'll see. Uh, w- like, what was the process? What did that process look like ah. in the early days? Like, what did we go through? How? What? Who went through what to choose the books that we have now that form our Bible? Right. Okay. And and so, second question: yes. Was there any funny business that could call into question mm, the Bible? Is you know. Yeah, that's it's actually, not the right set of documents.
1: That's a good question. Your second one about, like, I think there is some cultural uh, criticism, again, outside the walls of the church about how the Bible books were chosen. I think one of the more popular myths, if you will, is that the books of the Bible were kind of formed willy-nilly, that mm-hmm. it depended on who was in the room when it all happened and had there been a different set of persons in there or a better lawyer lobbying for mm-hmm. a different book, it could have easily gone a different way. Mm-hmm. We could have had a different scripture. And uh, and, so, and so it goes. That's kind of a misnomer, though. That's really a myth, if you will. There's no hard evidence to back that up because the canonization process, let's talk about New Testament, was really all about Uh, When the close associates of Jesus, those apostles, those eyewitnesses, when they actually wrote down their personal, like, what they saw or they transmitted that to one of their secretaries or a close associate of themselves, uh, Peter to Mark, uh, Luke interviewing, all these people. So these were eyewitness accounts from those who walked with Jesus and they wrote this stuff down and that made it authoritative. And then as those works were distributed amongst the early Christian communities in the first century, people began to read them, people began to be changed by them, and because of their effect in the communities, people basically were like, the Christians were like, this is God-breathed, this is inspired canon, and that's kind of how it started. Mm-hmm. It was a process
0: So you feel comfortable with you the, the research you've done and again you're mm-hmm. not the foremost scholar on this but you have you have thank you for
1: always bringing that
0: up. Um, just keeping you humble um, you, you feel comfortable you, you feel comfortable with this process like it was and most scholars do as well.
1: Oh a hundred percent yeah you know <clears throat> there were some councils that or big meetings that took place. Uh, starting in the 300s and in the 400s, where in the historical record, we start to see the lists codified, mm-hmm. uh, form, formalized. But those were simply meetings or councils that were formalizing what the church had already decided for hundreds of years. They just simply weren't as yeah. sort of into the need to formalize, like, yeah. these are the 27 books mm-hmm. uh, as we are today.
0: Yeah. And there, so there was more communal agreement that this is, ev- you know, this is what is scripture. Yeah. Like so it, it almost, it wasn't top as top down per se.
1: Let's, let's say, yeah, let's say there's, uh, put yourself in the first century. There's a church in Southern Turkey uh, who has the book of James mm-hmm. and they've, been reading it, and they've been studying it. But then 12 miles away, there's a new church that's starting in another village, and they only have Luke and maybe John and First John. Mm-hmm. Well, somebody writes a copy of James from that one church, and they send it by messenger to this new church, and they say, hey, guys, you should add this to what you're studying and reading in your community because this is—the Lord's brother wrote this. This is authoritative. This is eyewitness." And this is material that is God-inspired, and it's changing our lives. It's transformative. And so this new church then reads this letter, and then they begin to feel the same way. They begin to see its effects, and then they're like, absolutely, this is 100% God-breathed. And then it began to kind of, in an informal way, mm-hmm. spread around mm-hmm. like that book by book.
0: Gosh, it, ju- it just amazes me. The, the process, just the process the Holy Spirit went through to preserve this text and and to give us so much evidence for us to have confidence in uh, in what it says um, and the, the accuracy around it um, is just absolutely incredible. One and little it, fact on yeah. the
1: canonization, we have a list in the record from, I think, about 175 AD, so early, or, excuse me, later in the second century, that has... Almost the entire New Testament listed down, like, hey, this is our stuff. And so early on, I mean, within less than 100 years of when John was finished writing the last little bits, right, we have, like, a pretty good list of what the churches were using and how they were using it. So we've got great evidence that the canonization Mm -hmm. process happened early on, and then it really didn't change much.
0: Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I love it. And it's not that boring. That was pretty good. Good job. I mean, a little bit boring, but <laughs> okay. it's helpful information. I think this is important for us as believers, as far as Christ to study, to know, to wrestle with, to reflect on. Um, so, thank you for taking the time to uh, to jump in here. And uh, that's uh, I think that's about it for our first uh, YouTube episode of Beyond Sunday. You're probably the best guest we've had so far.
1: Oh wow! Thanks. Um, You're into ranking, aren't you? I'm
0: I'm ranking a lot. Yeah. It's a thing I've had today. I've been thinking about that's that. Really, so. that's that's so appreciate, wonderful. No, appreciate you. Yeah. You're awesome. <laughs> All right, thank you guys. Um, next week, we are getting into the topic. What's our topic next week? We are talking about Steve Ingold's preaching. Yes. On why can't I stop doing the things I know I shouldn't do? That's a good question. Very and, good. Uh, I want an answer to that question. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna like list out my things. Yeah. Um, maybe
1: you guys can do that and be on Sunday. Maybe next, next week.
0: Maybe next. Oh. Tune in next Sunday. Ingold's going to list the things that he can't stop doing that he should absolutely stop doing. I could list a few of them out on his behalf. Well, Um, people
1: who have that question, they're in good company because the apostle Paul had the same question and he wrote about it in one of his letters. Yes. And I think it's a persistent question that we have to wrestle with. So I'm really looking forward to our turn at it.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe to this channel and uh, we'll talk to you guys later.